Hey, I want to continue with this series, and uh, I know I'm kind of running short on time this morning, but I'll adjust a little bit. Uh, <laughs> say yes to God's best. We've been going through the book of Esther and seeing what God has to say to us from this book. And so as I, I begin this today, let me ask you a quick question. What do you think that God hates more than anything else? Don't say it out loud. Just answer me. What, what do you think God hates more than anything else? I'm sure we all can come up with a few ideas, uh, maybe a few possibilities. While you're thinking of that, I want to read something to you, and you can think about who you think possibly would have written this. We've been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We've been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We've grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined the deceitfulness in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. Who do you think would have written that? It sounds like something that should be written for today. But this was written by Abraham Lincoln. In the 1800s, when he called on the nation for a day of what he called public humiliation, prayer, and fasting. He called on the nation to pray because he saw the nation drifting away from dependence upon God and being way too self-sufficient upon themselves and too proud to call on the name of God. And if that were true then, it's even more true today. Can I get an amen? Even Benjamin Franklin said this. He said, there is perhaps not one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It's still alive. Even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. Fact is, pride is something that is very, very hard to kill and to destroy. And I ask you, what do you think God hates more than anything else? Probably not too many of us said pride. We could think of a lot of sins and a lot of attitudes, a lot of actions that God would hate. But I want to talk to you this morning about the problem with pride. The problem with pride, because God hates pride because it leaves no room for God. Pride says that I have all the answers, that I, I, I don't need help from anyone else. I don't need help from God. It's all about being better than someone else. In fact, Proverbs 6.16 says, These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. And he starts out with a proud look. Of all the things that God could say I hate, he starts with a proud look, pride. He goes on with a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Here's what's weird about pride, is most people don't think they have a problem with it. If you ask people about sins in their life, they can, we can identify sins. We, we know what we're, we're doing wrong. But pride is very subtle, and pride is very seductive. And it's almost indetectable to the person who possesses it. But as we 
deal with this this morning. Let me make sure we're all on the same page. Here's what I mean when I say pride. Pride is making more of myself by making less of everyone else. Pride is making more of myself by making less of everyone else. As we look at the book of Esther, there's one person in this story that we've been going through over the last four or five weeks who is consumed with pride. His name is Haman. He's the evil villain in the story. And pride distorts and ultimately kills him because that's what pride does. And I'm going I'm to teach you three things out of this story, out of the life of Haman in the book of Esther, that hopefully you will hear, you will understand, you will receive, and it will keep you from allowing the enemy or allowing pride to ruin the things that God wants to do in your life. Esther chapter 5, verse number 9. says, Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to be scripture heavy this morning because I don't want you to miss this story. I want you to hear it. I want you, I want you to recognize when pride starts raising its ugly head in your life. So I'm going to be scripture heavy, all right? Haman went out that day happy, a high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Now here's how full of pride Haman is. Everybody's bowing down to him. Everybody's recognizing him. Everybody fears him except one guy. And this one guy, he can't get off his mind. Because this one guy won't bow down. This one guy won't pay him any honor. It just drives him crazy. You know the way it is. Everybody else can be on board, but one person stands against you, and you can't let it go. Let's go on. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself, went home, calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife. Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him, and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all. Haman added, I'm... I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet that she gave. She's invited me along with the king tomorrow, but all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. Well, his wife, Zeresh, and all of her friends said to him, and this is a common reaction. I mean, just this is common. What? Have a pole set up reaching to the height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Well, we know where uh, Haman comes from. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what family discussion goes there that fast. This guy's bugging me. He won't bow down. Well, let's just build a pole 75 feet high, four and a half stories, and just have him impaled on it, just kill him. And then it gets even worse. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. Let's, let's impale the man and let's go have dinner. Well, this suggested it delighted Haman. So he had the pole set up. These people are warped. They're messed up. So here's, here's number one. Here's what pride does. Pride distorts our reality. It, it, it makes us see things not really as they should be seen, and it distorts our reality. Haman is the number two man in the Persian Empire, yet he can't have any joy in life because there's one man that won't honor him and recognize him. It distorts his reality because all he sees is Mordecai not bowing down. He doesn't see the hundreds or thousands of others that do. It, one man won't. 
so he can enjoy his life. And here's what pride does. Pride causes you to focus and get fixated on this one thing that really doesn't matter that much. And you miss out on all the other great things that are happening in life. Pride causes us to think that we're the center of the universe and that everything revolves around us. And if everybody isn't bowing to us, then we get all bent out of shape. That's what pride does. It robs you of being able to enjoy life because we're always keeping score and we can never rejoice with others because it's always about us. I can remember when I very first started pastoring and started preaching, I was trying my best to you know, learn how to to better myself in the pulpit. And I, I, I know I still got a lot of work to do, but when I was young, you know, it just, it probably wasn't that good. It just wasn't that good. And I appreciated every compliment that came my way, cherished every, hey, good job. But I remember the very first email that I got that wasn't a compliment. It was a scathing review of my preaching. Oh, man, nothing else occupied my mind but this one email. And it just went over and over and over. I mean, how could somebody be so insensitive to somebody trying to learn how to preach the gospel? But there are some people who just feel like they have to be everybody's critic. You know who you are. When you, when you, you know who you are. You're going to get on, you're going to leave a Google review at every restaurant you go to. Come on, you don't have to review on everything. Our opinions aren't that important. Sometimes I know it's necessary, but it's not always necessary at every restaurant, every business, and every sermon. Please, just quit, all right? Just leave it. But I remember thinking, man, this is hard. This is hard because, you know, some people are just brutally honest. But I realized and learned later with the help of some mature mentors, you know, we get one of those letters, you get one of those emails, you get one of those voicemails, take the truth out of it, leave the rest, because there's always a little bit of exaggeration in every one of those critiques. Take the truth, and that's what I've tried to do. Now, I still don't do real good, so please, this isn't an invitation to send me all the critique, okay? Just leave it. But look, Proverbs 11, 2 says this, when pride comes, then comes disgrace but with humility comes wisdom. Humility brings the wisdom that sees the world for the way it really is because pride robs us of reality and it leaves you with a distorted view of the way things really are. So what God does is God invites us into humility and the fruit of that is wisdom and we all need wisdom. So the more we operate in humility, the more wisdom comes, the better off life is gonna be. Look at Esther chapter 6, verse number 1. That night the king couldn't sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. And it was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bethana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. And he says, what honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? Well, nothing's been done for him. The king said, well, who's in the court? Well, Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. And his attendants said, well, Haman's standing there in the court. Well, bring him in. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Irony of all ironies. He just had the pole set up, the gallows built for this man, and the king asked, well, what should be done for someone the king wants to honor? Well, Haman obviously thinks he's talking about him. 
Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, thinking if this was all for himself. I mean, if it wasn't so tragic, it would just be really, really funny. It's kind of both. Well, for the man the king delights to honor, have, have them bring a royal robe that the king has worn, a horse that the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on his head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what's done for the man the king delights to honor. Well, go at once, the king commanded Amen. Get the robe, the horse, and do just as you suggested for Mordecai. Don't neglect anything you've recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai. Can you imagine? Put it, can you imagine Haman? I mean, he's hating this. He's got to put the robe on Mordecai and then lead him while he's on a horse, but lead him through the streets proclaiming, this is what's done to a man the king delights to honor. How humiliating. Listen, pride, number two, pride loves to exalt self. It loves to make you think that you're all that matters. And that's what was wrong with Haman. Haman felt like he was the only one that mattered. And if we're not careful, pride gets inside of us and makes us think that we're the only one that matters. We come into a church service and we're the only one that matters. And so we get bent out of shape when things don't go exactly the way we would like it to go. Come on, we've all done that before. We walk out frustrated because something didn't go the way you thought it should go. Well, hey, that's my life every Sunday, okay? Nothing goes exactly the way I'd like it to go for me, for you, for anybody. But it's not all about me and it's not all about you, right? But it, pride loves to exalt self. And when you think about this, what Haman does is Haman tells the king to do five things that he thinks should be done for the man that the king wants to honor. Give him a robe that the king has worn, give him a horse that the king has ridden, a crest on the horse's head, and then give him a public parade and a public proclamation telling everybody this is what's done for the man the king loves. Now, just as a little bit of backstory, the robe was a big deal because remember when Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all the kingdom to spare the kingdom from the, uh, the drought, he put his robe upon Joseph to say, this is whom I honor, this is whom I trust. Whenever Jonathan, King Saul's son, wanted to show his love for David, he took his robe off and he put it on David. Whenever the prodigal son came home, what did the father do? The father took his robe and put it on the son. The robe represented trust and love and loyalty. And so here is uh, the king putting this robe on or having Haman put this robe on the man. But what a role reversal, because now it's, it's Haman having to do this for Mordecai. Because Matthew 23, 12 tells us, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, it's always backwards in the kingdom. And I just want to challenge you. Listen, we, we all are challenged and tested and tempted with this every day to promote ourselves and to push ourselves. When you start doing that, you will be humbled. But when you choose humility, when you choose servanthood, then God will exalt you and God will bless you. I know he says, like, I got to look out for myself. I got to take care of myself. But when you start exalting self and you start promoting self, pride will destroy you. 
Have you ever had somebody tell you how humble you are? You're so humble. You're so awesome. You did such a great job. It looks so pretty. And outside, you're saying, oh, no, it's nothing. But inside, you're saying, it's about time somebody recognized them. Yeah, we've all done that. That's, that's pride, sticking his head up in your life. You, know, you kill it real quick. I remember the story of a, a heavyweight boxer by the name of James. Uh, his nickname was Quick, James Quick Tillis. He was a cowboy out of Oklahoma, fought out of Chicago. And he tells a story about the first time he went to Chicago, got to Chicago, got off the bus, and had two suitcases, and uh, walked down the street, stood in front of the big Sears Tower, looked up, said out loud, I'm going to conquer you, Chicago. And he reached back down, and his suitcases were gone. So here's, that's what happens when we allow pride to start exalting us and pushing us in places we shouldn't go. It will not enrich your life. It will only take away from your life. In fact, it was pride that turned an angel into a devil. Ezekiel 28 says, your heart was filled with pride because of your beauty. Charles Spurgeon said, pride is the one sin that turns angels into devil. And the same is true for you and the same is true for me. Pride will destroy marriages. Pride will destroy relationships. Pride will destroy friendships. Pride will destroy your future and your plan. In fact, that's why whenever we stay mad at someone, it's rooted in pride. You know why it's rooted in pride? It's because whenever we stay mad at someone and we refuse to offer forgiveness, it, it comes from a place of superiority. We think we're better than that person. And so we refuse to offer forgiveness. We refuse to offer reconciliation. And when you start thinking you're better than somebody else, that comes from a place of, of pride. It's amazing how when somebody has walked through failure, walked through brokenness, or walked through recovery, how much quicker they are to offer forgiveness to somebody else. I know. I want to challenge you. Don't allow pride to destroy you or any relationship. Esther chapter 6, look at verse number 12, last passage. Now I'm going to stop. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief, told his wife and all his friends everything that had happened. His advisors and his wife said to him, well, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you can't stand against him. You're going to come to ruin. Wouldn't you love an encouraging wife like that? While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. Chapter 7, verse number 1 says, Then the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked Queen Esther, What's your petition? It'll be given you. What's your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it'll be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we'd merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet. No such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? And where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? 
Haman. The other person at the banquet that's not being you, <laughs> Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in rage, left his wine, went out to the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just then the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall. Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. And the king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she's here with me in the house? And as soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, Impel him on it. So they impelled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. What a crazy story. Look, here's the third thing. I'm going to stop with this. Pride makes a fool out of you. Pride will make a fool out of you. I know it, it feeds an ego inside of us, but it starts rotting away inside and it will make a fool out of you just like it did. Now, Haman meets his end when Esther executes this amazing plan when she asked the king for two different banquets and she knew that it would play right in to Haman's pride. Oh, I get invited to the king's banquet with only the, the queen has invited me, just me, the king. It played right into his pride. Listen, Hang, Haman, he may have been impaled on that pole. That pole may have thrust through his body and took his life, but what killed him was pride. And pride is what will kill each and every one of us. That's why Proverbs 16 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is different than most other sins. You get caught stealing something, you, you, oh, I don't know how that got in my pocket. I, yeah, you did it. You stole it. Your friend pulls up in the neighbor, your neighbor pulls up in their driveway with a brand new car. And I had this weird sensation that came over me. I don't know. It's called coveting. It's, it's a sin. We can recognize certain sins. What's hard to recognize is pride. That's why you need God's help to identify when pride is taking root in your life. And that's why Psalms 139 says, and which is a great prayer to pray over your life every day. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Just test me. You know, I've got some anxious thoughts. But you look inside, and if there's any offensive way in me, then help me. You lead me in the way everlasting. Just asking God to search and test you. If there's any ounce of pride in my life, please let me know because I don't want it to destroy my life. I don't want it to destroy my family. I don't want it to destroy this church. I don't want it to destroy your future. God, if there's pride trying to take root in my life, show me. I'll put it at the cross. See, pride will make a fool out of you. But listen to me. Here's the thing. Haman's desire to be honored by the king wasn't really such a bad thing. The problem was he wanted to be honored by the wrong king. Because every single one of us desire to be loved by a king, to be loved by someone that matters. That's a natural desire for every one of us. And the truth is that every single one of us have that we have the ultimate king who loves us. 
the ultimate king who laid down his life for us, the ultimate king that took our sin and our shame and, and the penalty for death, and he took it upon himself, and he took it to the cross. We have that king who loves us. He was on the cross thinking of you, and he's ever interceding for you and me right now. We have that king, and he loves you. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. And his name is Jesus. He loves you. He loves you so much that he made a way for us not to be bound by the penalty of sin and death, but to be freed, accepting his sacrifice for us upon the cross of Calvary. What a king. What an amazing king. And he makes that free gift of everlasting life available to us today. The free gift of knowing that our sins are washed and forgiven, he makes that available to us today.